Want to bet? You can do it. Sports Interaction. It's Canada's sportsbook. Football is back. Baseball playoffs and hockey season just around the corner. And you can bet pregame, live and play, or on one of our many prop bets. Made for Canadians by Canadians. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all that sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Here we are, season two of Agent Provocateur. Adam Wild, how are you? Oh, Alan, I'm fantastic. I'm excited about the guest today, but, um, and I told you this last night on our pre show phone call, call I, I, I missed you. <laughs> I really missed you. This was this is it's it's fun to be doing this again. It really is. Uh, I have to I have to say that uh, uh, our hiatus. Uh, I've actually missed uh, our our weekly get together and having guests on and talking about hockey. So it's great to be back. It is. And did you? I know that you had a bit of a busy summer on the hockey side. Uh, <laughs> just to, you know, when we did kind of address that in the last episode, Huberto Flurry. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, we're talking to Ron Hextall, Jan Ruda. Um, but there was some stuff on the personal side that that happened for you too. You were officially an empty nester. I am. I am. We uh, spent four days and uh, moved my daughter uh, into the dorms at UC Berkeley, where she's a freshman. And uh, a couple of days later, got on a plane uh, with my wife and my son and got him all situated. He's a sophomore at university in Washington, D.C. So we have kids right now on both coasts. My son's at American University. My daughter's at Berkeley. And uh, my wife and I are, are at home here in L.A., officially empty nesters. How does it feel? Um, you know, there's a little bit of you know, looking at your wife at night and going, uh, you know, what now? <laughs> what do we do now? I mean, we just get the been, bill in the mail. That's all. We've been uh, catching up on uh, Better Call Saul. We're on season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of other series that we've watched that have new seasons out. We're into House of Dragons. Mm. Uh, so all of that is all of that is great. And uh, just plotting out my travel schedule for rookie camps, main camps, uh, because here we go. The footsteps are upon us. And when uh, the camps open, uh, it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind for the next four weeks. Are we allowed to ask where you're going? Uh, I'm going a little bit of of everywhere. I'm going to be up in uh, San Jose. There's a rookie tournament there. Uh, I'm going to try to make it into Traverse City for a rookie tournament there. I want to catch up with uh, certain rookies. I want to catch up with uh, David Yurichek and uh, Zachary LaRue and, um, you know, both first round picks. Uh, I want to uh, just generally reconnect with everybody, which is what usually happens around the time of training camp. Uh, there are guys who kind of take a little bit of a break in the summer from reaching out every day. And you may just be checking in with them once every week to 10 days. And, you know, you, yeah, I just got off the plane. I'm in my city. Here we go again, another year. And now you're talking to them again four or five times a day. So um, it it really feels now like the season is starting. Do you get excited still? 
Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've been, I've been looking at the calendar and, and ticking off the days anticipating the start of camp. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a big, big year for a few people. Uh, I saw you tweeting about Jonathan Huberdo the other day. I mean, that what an exciting year in Calgary that's going to be. Um, and and so we're we're going to have Ron Hextall on here, which is a heck of a way to start season two, Alan. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you call him Hexy. How far back do you guys go? And what kind of an interview are we in for here? Because when I, my first impression of Ron Hextall was the title uh the 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 heavyweight title belt between him and felix potfin when i was a kid because i'm a leaf fan just legendary stuff uh but he has had an unbelievable successful obviously his career as a player but as a an executive as well yeah and and i got uh i i became really close with hexy uh during his time out here in la as assistant gm uh, we would see each other at the practice rink. We'd see each other uh, at the big rink uh, before and after games um, all the time for um, for for six years. Mm. And uh, we talked about players often. We talked about scouting. We talked about up and coming players. We talked about players uh, around the league, uh, players in the American Hockey League. And uh, one thing that that struck me very early on in in our friendship was how devoted he was to to knowing the league and knowing every player in the league and he really has a a great analytical mind and and thinks the game and thinks um uh strategically um how the different pieces all come together and uh, I used to, I had told him a couple of times uh, back in LA that he's going to be a GM one day and he would kind of smile and laugh it off. But uh, I certainly wasn't surprised when he got the job in Philly and, and now seeing what he's doing in Pittsburgh. Um, um, he's uh, somebody that you, you enjoy dealing with um, as an agent and a GM. Sometimes you don't agree, but you always disagree respectfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, uh, certainly, with his history uh, in the game as a player and his history uh, as a scout in management, um, sometimes it's important to talk less, listen more. And sometimes, um, when you do that, you can actually learn something. and And I've I've learned from him. I think he may have learned from me a little bit, uh, but he's a he's a great friend, and it's great to have him on the podcast today. So let's bring him on. Let's do it. Welcome to the second season of Agent Provocateur. Our first episode, we have a real special guest. He comes from a long line of hockey royalty, a third generation NHL player. His grandfather was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame back in 1969. His father played 10 seasons in the NHL, and his uncle played 14 seasons in the NHL. In his rookie season, he won the Vezina Trophy as the NHL's top goalie and the Smythe Trophy as NHL MVP. That's a hell of a start. He's the first NHL goalie to score a goal by actually shooting the puck into the net. Sorry, Billy Smith. And he's the first goalie to ever score a goal 
by shooting the puck into the net in the NHL playoffs. He was suspended for six or more games on three different occasions. <laughs> and, and this is an incredible <laughs> stat that I saw today. Uh, you had more than 100 penalty minutes in each of your first three NHL seasons. After a 13-year career, he transitioned to NHL management, becoming assistant GM of the LA Kings, and after six years there, winning the Stanley Cup, finally getting your name on the Cup in 2012. After winning the Cup, he moved to Philadelphia, where he was returned to Philadelphia, where he was assistant GM, ultimately becoming GM. And he's now currently the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. A big welcome to the Agent Provocateur podcast to Ron Hextall. Yes. Thank you. Quite, quite the introduction, but I will tell you with regards to the suspensions, there was actually an imposter out there that nobody's ever found, but he is around and I'm still looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> is that like OJ still looking for the killer? <laughs> well, not, not quite like that, but uh, we're still looking for that imposter. I heard a great story about you the other day uh, in getting ready for this pie. And you and I have known each other now for many, many years. But I heard that back in 1980-81, when you were playing, you played one year for the Melville Millionaires in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, you played in a game where you had 105 shots against, you made 84 saves and lost the game 21-2 to and stayed in the net for the entire game. That you is remember correct. that? I do very, very vividly. <laughs> that that game, I think, if I remember right, it was the second last game of the year, and we we were the worst team in the league. We were absolutely terrible. Now, when I say that, I look back at personally for myself. It was a big year. I was 16 years old in terms of development, seeing a lot of shots. That night was a little much, though. I think, I think I let in three goals in the first, six in the second, and 12 in the third. So it wow. was totally exhausted. I was player of the game. I think it was probably a sympathy thing. But yeah, and I, I don't know what I was, probably 170 pounds. I was probably 145 by the end of the game. I do remember uh, my teammates helped me get my equipment. It was that, it was that bad. Wow. But it was, you know, I look back on it, and like I said, that was a big year for me personally. Um, had a lot of, certainly a lot of fun in, in Melville and a lot of growth as a human being, but also as a player too. So I look back. You know, you look back at development years, and that was a that was a big one for me, just facing facing a lot of rubber every night. So your grandfather played in the NHL and had a an outstanding career. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, your dad, your uncle, nobody that I can find. I can't find another Hextall that was a goalie. How did you become a goalie? I really, I don't have I, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, my mother tells me when I was two and three, I would roll up a pair of socks and throw the, throw it up the stairs and make a big save when they came down. Um, so I was well prior to the memories that I have as a kid where I wanted to be a goalie. Um, then when I was eight years old, when I started playing organized hockey, my dad said, no, you play, play forward or play defense, learn how to skate. And then if you want to go still go back in the net, then we'll talk about it then. 
obviously thinking that I would never go back. And I was, ironically, I was in Pittsburgh at the time. And I remember riding to the rink. Coach was in front of me. The coach, coach's son was the, the goalie. And, you know, you see the, the head in front of you. Well, there was no sound. And I'm like, ooh, this might be my shot. Sure enough, that was what the first, first game I played goal. And I played goal ever since. But it was something in my blood when I was when I was young. And again, as you stated, I I mean, I lived with my dad my his whole career and went to the games and everything else. And I, I just wanted to be a goalie for for some reason. And one of the one of my idols was Jimmy Rutherford, who I took over for here in Pittsburgh. And Jimmy was uh, um, lived close to us, uh, spent quite a bit of time with me. Um, gave me one of his masks that I still have to this day, gave me his skates back then. Um, so yeah, I kind of had a connection to Pitt, which obviously became a little bit ironic with getting the Penguins job. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about and focus on, uh, and it's an area that isn't really discussed too often. And that is the transition that a NHL player makes from being an active player to going to work in management. When did you first start thinking about life after playing hockey? Well, that's a great question. I, I think when you're playing hockey, like we would sit down as a team, you know, whether it be before practice, after practice, we, you know, you have a lounge and you start talking about a trade that happened that day or a signing that happened and everybody's kind of the playing GM there. So we had some good discussions as teammates. And then you just kind of watch the process as you as you go along. And of course, when you're young, you think you're going to play forever. So you really don't have a lot of thoughts of it. Um, as you start to get towards the end, you start thinking, and I'm not exactly sure when I made the decision that I want to stay in hockey, but I'm sure that would, the decision was kind of made long before just because of my love for the game. Uh, there's no there's no way I wanted to do anything else in, in life other than hockey. Obviously you got your family and you got your hobbies and other things, but in terms of the professional part of it, for me, it was all about the game. And I knew I wanted to stay in the game. And when I was done, um, Bob Clark just asked me, what do you want to do? I said, well, I kind of like the management side of it. He, he asked me what any interest in, in the coaching side. And I said, no, I've always kind of liked the management side. Um, and I started scouting and that was kind of the, that was the start of it then there and just kind of built talk talk to me a little bit about scouting and 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 what that's like and the life of a scout because that's well, an area that many you, people don't know about yeah i'll tell you about my first trip so i get done playing and you know you're on these charter planes and you're making pretty good money and they basically drive you into the rink and the locker room's right there you don't have to do anything on your own so all of a sudden i start scouting and my first trip is out west I'm going to I'm going to San Jose, and I, you know, I show up at the airport in Philly there at six in the morning, whatever. And there's a line of about fifty people, and I got three bags back then, no, no rolling bags. You got the big heavy bags. Stand in line, and you wait. You get up to the front, get your ticket, and I'm like, "Cool, oh, man." I think I was in line for an hour. Go through security, get to your plane. Okay, you got a connecting flight. I get into San Jose, and it's been a long day already, and rental car place i'm like where's the rental car place so i hop in so i find the rental car place i get in line there's 50 people in line i got these bags you gotta move your bags ahead and as i'm standing in line it it dawned on me you know i went from being a 
player a pretty glamorous life, kind of getting babysat to some degree. What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was my first experience. I got I got four kids at home too, so I'm kind of like, geez, you know, like, am I doing the right thing here? And anyway, it uh, obviously turned out pretty well and ended up being a, being a GM. But there was a lot of there was a lot of work as a scout. I mean, you're going to as a professional scout, you're going 160, 165 games a year, and really, in a, for the most part, in five months. Um, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of travel. Um, but if, if it's your passion, it's, it's not really, it's not really work. I mean, I enjoyed going to the games. I enjoyed learning, you know, the leagues, when you're a player, you think, you know, the players, but you really don't. I mean, it, it gives you a good insight into a certain amount, especially your divisional rivalries and stuff, but you know, players out West, you don't, you don't really know them. So getting to know all the players in the league and then going to the American league and kind of seeing the development process, you really learn a lot, but it's, uh, it's it's not a real glamorous life, um, and it's a lot of work. But again, when it's your passion, it's it was a lot of fun, and I think it put put down a foundation to to kind of move up in the business. Well, it's not just uh, traveling to games and and watching games. How much time do you spend writing reports? Yeah, it a lot. I I took a lot of pride in reports. I. I Sometimes I'd start after the game at the rink, wait for the crowd. Other other times I'd just do it in the morning. But I would typically spend a couple hours doing reports, reports in the morning. Yeah, Adam. Well, I want to ask because you know that that is a that's a pretty stark transition from being star NHL goaltender to trying to find the uh, Enterprise uh, rent a car service. And and I wondered in that in those first years doing scouting, Ron, what do you think your biggest takeaways were? What did you learn? that you would say that you could apply every day now as Pittsburgh GM? I think uh, there's a lot of little things in, in character that you can read. Like when you're scouting, like a lot of people can see like the skill and stuff like that, but reading the character of a player, the will, the, the making big plays at the right time, things like that with players, that's the little things that you don't know. Like you, again, you know, some of the players, uh, but you don't know the night in and night out, the work ethic and the character and just, just their body language, going to the bench, coming back from the bench, um, their interaction with their teammates, uh, their professionalism. Um, you know, a guy like Patrice Bergeron comes to mind. I mean, the first time you see him, it's sort of like, man, this guy's a pro. I remember seeing him the first time he was in, in New York in preseason, his draft year. And you just looked at the kid and it was like, whoa, the way he carried himself and the confidence he had. And there was just an air about him where you thought, well, man, this guy can can be something pretty good and he's a pro he's 18 years old usually they're they're you know not real well developed and they're not great two-way players and so again i think it's probably the the character of players that you start to try to read to figure out like there's a lot of players that might be in a certain group of you know 10 players these guys are all really good players so how do you how do you put them in order and to me it's it's the consistency it's a character it's the little things it's the the defensive side of the pockets you know, how they interact with their teammates, how much they care. Um, you know, obviously, they're, you know, how they play in the, the big moments, you know, when a game's on the line versus, you know, when you're up six to one, you got some guys will score a couple goals, but who's that guy that scores a goal when it's two to two in a real hard game late? Um, so there's a lot of little things, but that's probably the things that, you know, you think you know everything as a player and then you get in the scouting part and you realize how much, how little you, you really did know, even though obviously you have a wealth of knowledge, but not in terms of rating players and, 
and building teams and, and uh, whatnot. How much of a difference is there between pro scouting and amateur scouting? Quite, it's quite a difference. It's, um, you know, you know, when you look at players, you're looking at, you know, we're looking at 17 and, and 18 year olds and trying to figure out what they're going to be when they're 23, 24. So, um, and just look at the odds in the draft, right? I think, I think the amateur scouting is the hardest single thing we have to do as an organization. It's also the foundation. So you're building a house. You got to, you got to pour your basement, your foundation first, the concrete. And if you don't have that, your house is going to fall apart. I look at it the same way with it with it in pro sports where that's our foundation. It's really the first thing that we do is draft players. And if we're not successful at that, it's really hard to be successful. So the pros, I mean, you're essentially getting for the most part a finished product. I mean, you get a, you know, 20 year olds come into the pros, okay, it's a little bit different, but you know where they're drafted and um, much more of a finished product at, at 20, 21, 22 than the other one when you're looking at them as 17, 18 year olds. So it's a big difference. And I think the biggest thing with pro scouting, I think, or amateur scouting, I think anybody that has a good hockey mind can learn it, but it takes years because you really have to see the progression of a player, a, a really a, a, a draft class of, of 17, 18 year olds. Now you see them five years down the road. Okay. Now you have the type of experience that you need to, to be really good at it. So it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do. And as I said, I think it's the hardest thing we do in our business. So um, the first day of camp is soon upon us. Rookie camps are opening uh, imminently. And I've heard from lots of players over the years that general managers very often, uh, there's a first meeting with the entire group of people, of players invited and staff were going to be at camp. And general manager comes out and and gives a speech welcoming everybody and talking about uh, expectations. And I had a player years ago uh, at his first camp with the New Jersey Devils, and he said, uh, Luke came out and uh, addressed the entire group. And he didn't say much. But what he did say was, if you're here because you play the piano, I want to see you play the piano. And if you're here because you play the violin, I want to see you play the violin. So the player called me that night and he's like, hey, Alan. I'm like, yeah. He goes, we just had our big first meeting. I said, yeah. He said, I don't play the piano and I don't play the violin. <laughs> Am I going to make it here? So, uh, do do you do you welcome me? Do you give a speech about expectations, and what do you say? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give a short one. Um, Sully will give one. Uh, kind of our expectations for the year, things that we might change as a group, things that we need to work on as a group. So he'll give that to the whole group. Um, but I'll give a short one at the start and just talk about expectations. And you know, I mean, quite frankly, for us. Uh, for me, it's not a canned speech. It's usually year to year, but I, this year it's probably going to be something uh, along the lines of we've got some tough decisions to make here. We're all, you know, we're all up against the salary cap, but we got some tough decisions to make here. So make sure you're here to make an impression. When did you decide uh, that you wanted to be a general manager? Because you were a pro scout. You were assistant GM in LA for a lot of years. I used to see you out here all the time. When did you decide? I want to be a GM. That's what I want to do now. 
Yeah, I, d- I decided that when I when I went into management, that was kind of the end goal, whether I get there or not. I mean, it, there's lots of people that want to be GMs. And quite honestly, there's I think there's some you got to work hard, first of all. Um, I think there's a little bit of luck that goes into it. Uh, um, so that was my goal. And again, whether I reached it or not, if I became an assistant GM or if I was just in player personnel, I would have been happy as well. But in the end, in the at the beginning, I kind of set the goal of of uh, doing everything I could to try to try to be in the GM chair at some point. So I'm going to tell the story, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you. Uh, mm-hmm. You were assistant GM in LA, and one day. I'm in your office and you had a big wall from your desk to the side and you had every team, every player on the team, first line, second line, third line, fourth line, extras, the D, all color coded for every single team in the NHL. And you and I spent about an hour just going over the different players on different teams what the coding meant, the colors meant. And to me, it was fascinating because I'd been in a lot of offices with general managers and assistant general managers before, but you literally knew, you put that wall together. You literally knew every single player on that wall as assistant GM. Um, Was that something that you decided to do on your own or did you pick that up from, from somebody else? Um, I, I actually had those. I was a uh, director of pro personnel in Philly before LA and I, I, I started then. And uh, I don't know if I picked it up. I'm not exactly sure where the idea came from, but I just, I liked it because you looked at teams every day, the top teams, you could sit there and stare at them. It's almost like muscle memory, right? And you look at the different teams. Okay. Team X is really good. Look at their personnel, try and figure out if they have any weaknesses, what are their strengths? Just it was a nice visual for me in terms of, like I said, muscle memory, knowing every team, knowing exactly where every player is, knowing who he plays with. Um, it was just a, like I said, and if if Dean would come in or Jeff Solomon or our scouts come in and we talk about a team or talk about a player, uh, you talk about a team. Okay, we're a little short on the right side. You know, Team X, Y, and Z have a little bit of an overabundance of right wingers. Could we flip them for a left? So there's a lot of conversations that came out of it, but I think for for me, I just like having the visual every day of knowing the players, knowing where they were, knowing um, um, who they were playing with, the types of players that, that play with who, who does a guy excel with in terms of maybe excels with a playmaker centerman versus a, a, a shooter centerman. Um, there's just all kinds of things. And again, just the muscle memory thing that I, I, uh, I really liked. And I could have probably named almost every team then just because of those boards, I could have gone through every team and probably gotten at least most of the names. What's the worst part of the job for you? The part of the job you like the least? <laughs> Same old thing, losing. Uh, <laughs> at least you didn't say <laughs> the media. Losing. losing I thought you were going to say dealing with agents. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, not, that's not exactly the best part. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Let's see certain ones. Yeah, the losing is the losing's hard. I mean, it 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 just like when you're a player, like it wears on you, and you you feel responsible, right? You you basically with your staff, you put the team together, and you start losing, and there's that responsibility of 
uh, we, we need to change something here. We need to get going. So it is definitely the, the losing is, is the worst part. Um, there's not a lot that I, that I don't like. Um, I, I love being part of a team. I love, you know, big decisions, the trade deadlines, um, trades, um, free agency, uh, the draft. Like there's a lot of real exciting stuff for us. And it kind of, it's, it's not like playing, but it's probably that next level of, you know, you, you go to the draft and you better be dialed in. It's kind of like for us at that time, it's like, it's our game seven, our staff, it's game seven. And the trade deadlines, the same thing with the pro staff. Um, you know, when you're making a trade, uh, the, the whole process of it, going through the process and doing your research and talking to your people and talking to the coaches and everybody that needs to be involved in it. That's, it's, um, that's, that's the fun part, but it's, it gets your, it gets your blood boiling. It's the passion that, that we love the game and this is what we love to do. So, you know, those are the days on, you know, our calendar as management that you kind of circle and, and those are the exciting times for sure. Do you like uh, interacting with other general managers and how often do you do that? I, I do. I mean, I think we all have a, a certain amount that we talk to on a fairly regular basis and, you know, uh, I had one of them call me the other night just to ask a couple of questions about specific things. So we'll use each other to to help each other out and how, how things are run and how your staff is set up or how much you pay somebody or whatever the questions that we all have. Um, so, yeah, I enjoy interacting with the GMs. And for the most part, we're uh, I mean, we're we're friends for the most part, guys. I don't think dislike each other and always cordial and then you have the gm meetings and you know whether you go fishing or, or golfing and there's some pretty good relationships there have you ever had a gm call you and ask your opinion or advice on a contract negotiation i, I have i have none that yeah. I, none, none that i care to disclose but yeah <laughs> uh, we do. We do so you guys will share that kind of information with each other and give opinions and advice on 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 different situations like that yeah, and it's more like if if I'm talking to a GM about something else, and he's got something going with player X, he'll be like, "Well, what, what, what would you pay him? What do you think I should pay him?" I mean, that's that's it's a fair question, and it's, I don't know if any of them reach out to each other to, but it's more like, "Okay, I'm talking to you, so you know, what do you what do you think's fair for for player X? What do you think I should pay him?" Adam. Yeah, I'm wondering, uh, Ron. You know, when you're when you're talking to these general managers, it, it it must be a bit of a lonely job because there are only 32 at the NHL level, um, and and it must be hard for people to relate unless they've been in that position before. Can you tell me uh, if you can remember offhand the best advice you ever got from another general manager about the job, perhaps when you were just starting out as the guy? You know, it's a it's an interesting question, but I do remember while she's referring to my time in L.A. there, and I remember sitting across the table from Dean Lombardi, and I forget what I suggested. You know, a certain player. You know, I think we could acquire a certain player, this and that. And he finally looked at me and said, "You know, it's a little different when you're sitting in this seat." And at the time, I didn't really understand what he was talking about because you are the final decision maker essentially and it's easy for me to sit across the desk and say well i would do this and i would do that all of a sudden you're in that seat and you're making these these decisions that that you know can either either 
help your team immensely or not help your team like those are tough decisions and they're not decisions that you you take lightly and and I typically don't make decisions really, really quick. I like to do some do some research and give it some thought and think about all the things that could go right, all the things that could go wrong. Um, so that is the one thing I think that I took from before I was a GM that until you're in the seat, you don't really understand um, the magnitude, I guess, of, of a lot of the decisions that have to be made. So you mentioned Dean Lombardi, and we both know Dino very well, and you work closely with him. He's certainly a very colorful guy. Uh, what was it like for you working with him all those years? Um, I learned I learned a lot from Dean. He was a uh, a very methodical, um, deep thinker, uh, very analytical mind. Um, went over things ten different ways. You know, he always found a different way to to analyze a situation. So um, I learned a great deal from Dean. Obviously we, we, uh, we won the cup in 2012, which was absolutely marvelous. Um, great experience for, for everybody and made it all worthwhile. When I went out to LA, it was probably the hardest decision, decision I ever made in my life. I was in Philly. I was locked in. I had, you know, I had, had a family had four kids. Um, all of a sudden now you're moving to the other coast uprooting your family um and i ended up doing it and i think it was one of the one of the best decisions that i ever made just because of the experience of you know i kind of always been in philly and when you go somewhere else you learn from all the people that you work for and another organization how they do things differently so it was a real education for me um in philly you know it was about trying to get better every year trying to win you know pre-salary cap um, then I went to LA and we, we essentially built the team. It was a really good experience for me in terms of kind of building from the ground up. We rebuilt the infrastructure, essentially most of our staff, um, and then the team. So those, those seven years that I spent in LA were really, really valuable from an education standpoint for myself. So I was in the building, uh, when, when you won the cup in 2012 and, uh, and I was in the stands. And I was watching you uh, that first time you lifted the cup over your head. Um, what was that like? The lifetime of playing hockey, the legacy for your family. Did all those thoughts go through your head at the moment you're lifting it over your head? Yeah, it was, uh, it was surreal. It's like you, you work so hard and you try so hard to win that thing. And I don't think people understand how hard it is to win. It is, it is so hard to win that thing. And everybody's gone in for it. Everybody wants to win it. And to actually, to actually win it, I mean, it was, uh, it was a very emotional time. And um, I did everything to, I could to, to hold back the emotions. But it was, you know, I was assistant GM, but you still feel like you're a little bit part of it. And you know, the fact that we were there for six years at the time and kind of built that team, it was a, uh, it was a really, it was, I mean, it was a phenomenal feeling. And then when you, you get your day with it, it's like, oh man, I never, you, you dream of it. But that's all I'd done to that point. So it was outstanding. What'd you do with your day with the cup? <laughs> we, um, we took it back to my homeland there in Manitoba. 
um, the day before uh, our Did you need a visa to go back or they let you? <laughs> and they said, if you're, if you're, if you're coming in with a cop, you're allowed to come in. <laughs> we went back there and it was, um, I had my whole family, like my, my siblings were there. Um, my mom and dad were there. We had a big party at night, but we went out on, on Clear Lake, which Riding Mountain National Park in Manitoba, where we were essentially where I grew up in the summers. And we had some pictures on a, on a dock. Um, you know, my dad too, like my dad never, he never wanted for, for him to experience it. And my mom, she'd been in hockey essentially her whole life with my dad as well. And, you know, my siblings and, and my kids, and it was just special. And we took it, we took it to the beach kind of downtown Clear Lake um, to get some pictures. And then all of a sudden, somebody started yelling the Stanley Cup. We literally had to grab the Stanley Cup and run. The people wow. like, like, you know, Canada, but the people just started. And it's not that I didn't want to share it, but we were on a schedule. Yeah. So it's like hundreds of people just started like coming. And I'm like, oh my God, we got to get out of here. So we, <laughs> we took it. And we took it. And, and there's not a lot of people, but everybody in at, at, at the lake there would have been running if they, if they heard the Stanley Cup. So it was, I, I can't even explain that we had a, a bonfire at a big party at night. It was, it was outstanding that the cup handlers were, were terrific. And it's, it's an experience that if you grow up wanting it, it's, you can't even explain the, the day. It's unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. I love, I love hearing stories about what play, what players and, and management, what they do with their day with the cup. It's always fascinating to me. Yeah, we did. Actually, the one thing I forgot was we took it on the way we took it to my in-laws farms, right? My, my wife's uh, family's farm and we took it there and we're, we're getting pictures with it. And all of a sudden the horse came up, thought there was oats or something in the top of the cup and the, <laughs> the horse is trying to eat oats out of the cup, even though there is nothing in it. So it, was, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Now you talked about uh, the, the pre-salary cap era. And obviously since 2005, uh, the NHL has uh, had a salary cap. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges challenges for you managing uh, the cap? There are some teams that are struggling to get to the floor. Uh, other teams that are comfortably uh, around the midpoint, but many teams right now with the flat cap situation, uh, pandemic, new CBA, uh, with the upper limit only going up a million dollars a year that have uh, no salary cap space at all. What are those challenges like for you in in managing the team? Well, they're they're tough right now because we're you know we feel like we're we're still a pretty good team, and yet you don't win it last year. So we're trying to find ways to improve our team, and we get a million dollars to spend, which you know in the scope of things isn't isn't a lot in in our world. So it's you know trying to find little ways to improve your team, and that's probably the most frustrating part. You're trying to you're trying to keep all your players, but you're also trying to add players to, to make your group better. Um, so it's been, it's, it's tough. Make no mistake. I think any GM that's up against it would say right now it's tough. Some of the teams that are, that are building or, you know, have a lot of cap space. It's, it's an opportunity for them to, to uh, add assets. But for us, we're, we're trying to find ways to get better and it's, it's not easy right now. So, you know, we made a couple of trades where we, we think we're better. Um, added a, a couple of young players and, and, you know, a couple of older players. So, 
you know, we got Danton Heinen, you know, came back probably on a team friendly deal with that. That's all we could do. I mean, I would love to pay Danton a little bit more, but that's all we could do to fit him in. So we're trying everything we can to, to be as competitive as we can um, within the salary cap, but it's got its challenges right now for sure. Well, you added uh, noted Alan Walsh client Yan Ruta to the team in the offseason. <laughs> we did. That's one of the guys we're excited about. There were certain things we felt like we had to address. Our defense was was one of them. We felt like we had to get heavier in front of our own net, better on the PK uh, with, with Jan and, and Jeff Petrie. We feel like we did that. Um, with Ty Smith, we added a young defenseman that is a, a – uh, probably more of an offensive option, but skates really well. And we're excited about Ty. He's still a young player. Um, Ryan Paling up the middle is a, a young centerman that was at high hopes a couple of years ago. It hasn't gone exactly the way I think Montreal had hoped. So we're hoping to, to, to uh, uh, that, that Ryan's a, a nice addition to our team. But, and again, we got a couple of young kids that are knocking on the door. So we're excited about the season. Obviously we got Sid and Gino and Tanger. So it's always exciting when you have those three guys. Uh, yeah. Ron, when you when you uh, when you look at at teams that have been extremely successful, I want to bring up the 2012 Kings uh, as an example. Um, you know, they were known for uh, just being a heavy team, a forceful team, kind of forced their will on you, feisty, and obviously could score goals at the right time as well. When when you look at the Penguins this year and and the and and in the Ron Hextall general manager era of of the Pittsburgh Penguins, what kind of identity do you want this team to have? You've got Crosby, you've got Malkin. What what's the goal for? If there was a couple of words for it that you could put on the dressing room door, what would they be? Well, I think I think the the Penguins have always played a fast game and they've had success. Um, it's the, the way Sully coaches and the way that our players play. And I certainly wasn't going to come here and all of a sudden, you know, go to a heavy version of this team. Like we we're a quick strike team. We're a, a pressure team. If you watch, we pressure all over the ice. You've got to work hard. You've got to be able to skate. you got to be able to read the play. Um, I personally have always have always favored smart players versus um, hard, heavy um, and you give up a little bit in the hockey sense part. So it's always kind of been my my preference as a GM, as a personnel guy. So I like our team. I think if you look back at our team in LA there, we did have a heavy team. Um, but we had pretty good skill there too. Um, we had John Quick, obviously, in the nap. We had Drew Doughty and, and Kopitar and, and so on and so forth. But we had some heaviness to that team, but we were a pretty skilled team as well. I think when we won in 2012, we were probably at the front end of, of our window that uh, they won again. I left in the summer of 13, 14 uh, season um, and they won again that year. But I think, I think when we won, it was on the front end of, of uh, kind of a retool there. Um, and it's, I mean, what a run. I mean, two and two and three years for a team. I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot. You got 32 teams in the league. Now you win two and three, man, you had a heck of a run. So that was a, that was a fun run there in LA. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your expectations for the season this year. Uh, obviously a successful year is when you finish it winning the Stanley cup, but what kind of growth are you looking for, for different people in the organization in the front office and on the ice? Yeah, I think, um, on the ice, I think, um, I think we're, we're a really good team. Um, obviously every team has 
you know, think, well, I think we're the oldest team in the league. Okay, well, that's a fact. We can't run away from that. Um, you know, hopefully we stay healthy. We've, we've added some people on our, our um, performance staff to hopefully try to prehab injuries versus rehab injuries. So we're looking into things like that, which I think every team probably is. So we're just trying to keep our team as healthy as possible. When we're healthy, we think we've got a really good team. Obviously, we've talked about the, the three big guys, but we've got some some good depth on our team. Um, you know, we changed our defense, so it's going to be very interesting to see how, how you know, the pairs shake out and how they play together. But we're excited about our team. Um, we've got a lot of experience. Our guys know what it takes to win. And uh, as you mentioned, I think winning, winning that last game, when you win that last game, everybody's happy. So certainly that's our goal. A lot of work to do, obviously, between now and then. But uh, I'm excited about our team, and uh, we're looking to get off to a good start. Now, I got to ask this question because I think we're the only show that can ask this question. What's it like negotiating against Alan Walsh, Ron? <laughs> very, very difficult. <laughs> you, better, you better be prepared, and you better have done your research because you'd be damn sure he he's done his. So, yeah, I, Walsh, he's... He does a very good job, and if I was out in LA there for seven years, I probably would hardly know him, right? Other than dealing with him for a couple of players, but out there, you you see people, and uh, I got to know Walshy very well, and uh, he does a great job for his clients. I like that, Alan. What's uh, what's Ron like to negotiate against? Uh, one of the most analytical, knowledgeable, and insightful people that I've ever dealt with uh, on the other side of the table. Um, I have a particular kinship for his um, his history as a player and uh, the, the fiery personality uh, and and will to win that he's always had that has uh, imbued in me a deep respect for him. And you know, when you work with people on the other side. Uh, most of the experiences are uh, pleasant and and respectful. Many at different times are not. And I've never once had a negative experience ever with Ron. We have agreed to disagree. Uh, and it's 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 kind of weird calling you Ron because I only call you Hexy. Uh, but the um, the the level of preparation, and 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 caring about players and that's something uh, we've had a couple of situations over the last several years where you know people had to take off their gm hat and their agent hat and now you really get to see whether somebody cares about players and 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 their their health and um my personal experiences over that time with Hexy is there's nobody who cares really about the players as much as he does. I'm sorry for embarrassing you and saying that, um, but it's just the truth. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's, players, it's you get back to the players, like our, our players, when you, when you live it as much as, you know, we all see the, the big money and the, the kind of glitz and glamour, but, I'll tell you what, when, when you have those tough seasons and you don't win a lot of games or you're injured and you're rehabbing like, like Malcolm, for example, last year for 
Uh, I think he came back in end of January. He's he's rehabbing the whole year. People don't see the behind the scenes stuff, and it, it is tough. You know, there's there's a lot of pressure, and you you live your life under a microscope, and so we see all the good things. But I got to tell you, with the players, like I really I respect what they do. Uh, I understand what they do. I understand it's it's a great way to make a living. It is your passion, but there are some tough times too. And those players that, that battle through it in 82 games, that's a lot. And then you got a month or, or two, hopefully in the playoffs. It's, it's uh, again, it's a lot for someone to handle it physically and mentally. It takes, it takes special people. So I have an awful lot of respect for, for the players. Well, listen, we've uh, held you hostage long enough um, on uh, a real busy week heading into uh, the start of rookie camp and main camp. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, share your thoughts and share your time with us. Uh, and uh, uh, I may be calling you again sometime season three or season four and ask you to come back on again. And uh, I, I'll be honored as much uh, then as I am right now. Okay. All right, you guys. It's been a been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ron. All right. Thanks, Hexy. All right. Take care, guys. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN. 